If you're thinking that you want to take that action step, why wait? Book your session right now. Go to liberateyourself.com. Click on either Liberate Hollywood or Liberate Emporium. See our amazing practitioners and who resonates most with you. And then book a session via Skype, phone, or in person. We're here for you, and it's your time to start creating your life. This is Christina Dam, and this is Liberate the Podcast, where we educate, motivate, inspire, and liberate your consciousness. Hi, uh, I'm the Greek guy, Michalis uh, Romadiros, and welcome to Deep Cuts. Liberate the Podcast, Deep Cuts. Uh, where we discuss uh, matters of uh, mm, very important matters. So here we are uh, with uh, Ryan, uh, the director of uh, Decriminalize California, as goes uh, for uh, mushrooms or psilocybin. Yes. Mushrooms. Yes, we're, mm-hmm. uh, we're trying to decriminalize psychedelic mushrooms and psilocybin is in there, so yes. Awesome. Uh, let's begin with uh, what are mushrooms? Well, mushrooms are actually are a, mushrooms that we're getting uh, out uh, from Trader's Joe or from whatever else. Or well, these are actually um, mushrooms that contain psilocybin and psilocin inside mm-hmm. of them. So primarily, they're basically classified as psychedelic mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And these are the mushrooms that, when you take them, you actually have uh, either forms of synesthesia or hallucinations. Or if you take a small amount, not a, a standard full dose, you can have slight perceptual changes in how you view the world, uh, how you feel. It can be a mood enhancer in a lot of cases, and it helps with things like depression. So they, they, these are the, the, by the way, the illegal mushrooms. These are Schedule One felony substances. So because of that, uh, we have to write a lot to actually You're change the, it. You're the director of uh, Decriminalized California. So how this from what you say it's a medicine so how does a medicine became a scheduled one drug <coughs> here in the united states remember i'm from greece mm-hmm. in greece everything is different <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately or fortunately <laughs> well our country um unfortunately uh they started a series of prohibition tactics going back all the way uh to alcohol that was the first substance they tried to in essence, ban and did for a couple of years. And then we had, you know, boot, in, uh, yeah, bootlegs yeah. and gangsters and people running back and forth. Uh, the next oh, one- the good times. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, next, the next time it happened, it was actually because of an industrial product reason. Uh, mm-hmm. There were a lot of companies that had invested heavily in timber uh, for paper textiles. And hemp actually ended up becoming a threat to those industries. So they were able to, in essence, uh, demonize it as an actual uh, textile product by saying that this drug was going to make people go insane. So they had things like the movie Reefer Madness, and uh, people were under the impression that because it was being uh, propagandized around the country at the time by the people that wanted to shut it down, uh, that, you know, for example, if, if your daughter was to smoke marijuana, suddenly she would have sex with a black man and lose their mind, and it would be horrible, and hatchet murders, and all kinds of craziness. And then what ended up happening was 
And the counterculture movement started picking up in the country around the 60s, late 60s, early 70s. And they knew they couldn't necessarily make it illegal for people to congregate together because you're technically supposed to have a right to be able to do that in forms of like protest, civil disobedience to some degrees. And then what ended up happening was they knew that if they were to do spot checks in the crowd or just to go do a full sweep and just start checking everybody's pockets and pulling everything out, there was going to be a good chance they were going to find um, marijuana, as it was called back then, before the more you know PC version of cannabis today. Mm-hmm. And they were going to find other opioids, cocaine, possibly heroin, and then they were going to find psychedelics. So they created, they created this controlled substance list and they just grabbed all of these things that they knew were probably going to be in the pockets of all these hippies that were out there protesting, and then they made it illegal. And once they did that at the federal level in this country, they started setting up, um, in essence, deals with other countries saying, if you don't make it illegal over there, we're going to stop doing uh, trade with you. And then they put an extraordinary amount of pressure on the world community to do that. And then all these other countries started falling in line with really hardcore uh, anti-drug laws. Hmm. So then after it gets banned, it was really unfortunate because there was so much progress that was being done uh, on these substances between LSD and psilocybin and a few other psychedelics that they were just begun to study that they were either producing synthetically in a laboratory or they were actually pulling from nature in some form of a combination and breaking it down into a substance that people could take. So when uh, 1999, there was a group of people that met in Big Sur. They were uh, top researchers uh, that were still interested in the psychedelic movement, even though it had been shut down for almost three decades at this point. And they had a meeting and said, you know what, let's give another shot at this. So they wrote up a couple of papers and they submitted them and they were actually able to turn on the first studies for psilocybin. So from there, uh, there started being a series of research projects and papers being done. A lot of this was fueled by underground, private, amateur scientists, you know, mad scientists and chemists <laughs> trying to figure out what to do. Uh, generally, how to make a, a more potent or an easier process to produce one of these substances. Mm-hmm. Or in essence, to like, for example, cultivate with mushrooms. Everybody kept just developing this new technology to get to this point. And then what ends up happening is we then have going up to 2018, uh, City and county started figuring out uh, through in California, at least for the cannabis bans that were going off, uh, that there was tons of new ground to be taken. And people, after they'd won a bunch of areas in certain states had begun turning on, the focus actually started turning towards what would be the next substance or combination of substances that would actually uh, get a chance of being either decriminalized or legalized at the state level. Mm -hmm. And then from there, uh, Denver was able to successfully run an initiative and as a citizen's initiative in the in the state of Colorado in the city and county of Denver and they passed it at 50.5% of the votes for the population. And they ran it as a special election season so it was really close but they were actually able to turn it on and in essence uh, they made it the lowest level priority that the police and the local authorities could go after. And then after that, uh, city of Oakland in California they ran a resolution, which is a way to kind of like lobby your local city council members, and they made um, all entheogenic plants and psilocybin, psychedelic mushrooms in essence, um, also a lowest level priority there. And going back uh, a little bit before all of this in 2018, there was a group of us that did a private uh, study and wanted to determine whether or not California would be ready for psychedelic mushrooms, form of legalization or decriminalization, whichever path you took. And then we ended up getting the scores back. We sampled, it was like 850 people, roughly, And we got 54% in favor of it, 
but there was a plus or minus of 3.5%. So on a good day, if it was something you could vote for, it goes to 57.5%. And on a bad day, we would still technically win at 50.5% of the voting population. And this was before all the other things turned off. So now we feel we have even better odds, if it's on the ballot, that people will vote in favor of it, especially in California. So back in middle of 2000, or middle of December 2018, uh, we started an open source draft project where we did a single page for a Google document of all mm -hmm. the things we wanted to accomplish. Uh, we then put it out there online and we open sourced it. So that's a type of interaction where people just give as much feedback as they possibly can, and they certainly do in many cases. And we started building up this collection of volunteers all across the state, and some actually came even from outside of our state and in our country, in fact, that wanted to help out on the entire process. And then from there, uh, we got an extraordinary amount of critiques on the early versions of the language. And then thankfully, one of our friends came out of the woodwork and gave us a collection of documents mm -hmm. that actually, there was two different versions of one how to do it without sales and one how to do it with sales. And we ended up going for the one with sales simply because uh, we wanted to have amnesty and expungement. So if somebody had been arrested for a psychedelic drug going back in the day and they were still mm -hmm. either incarcerated or they had it on their permanent record, uh, we wanted to make sure that it could be taken off that permanent record because uh, in this country, a, a Schedule One felony uh, mm -hmm. for a controlled substance is just an absolute nightmare to deal with. And <clears throat> by doing that, we had to figure out sales. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to set it up so it wasn't a hyper overregulated system. There's like three pillars basically to mm -hmm. proper uh, decriminalization or legalization. It's basically ease of access, quality of the actual substance to make sure you're getting what you really want to be getting, and then the affordability factor. If you don't have all three of those in sync, uh, it can be kind of a disaster, which is unfortunately what we have with uh, cannabis right now in California. So when an eighth of weed should cost maybe $25, uh, dispensaries are charging like $60 because they're taxed at the point of uh, cultivation, mm -hmm. then at the point of manufacturing, and then you don't get any breaks at wholesale distribution. And then finally, uh, the patient, customer, client, whatever they want to define them as, uh, when they go into a dispensary and pick it up, they also get hit with what's known as an excise tax, which is in essence a sin tax. It's the same kind of thing you would throw against um, a sex industry style store mm -hmm. or alcohol in some counties and cities, uh, as well as gambling and, and other nefarious activities. They're, they're mm. sins, basically. Mm. Yeah, but uh, in my understanding, whenever uh, a government uh, finds out how to make money out of, uh, of taxes, like weed, yeah. Uh, then they follow that route on how to make money and they don't look at uh, the general population whether they want it or it's good for them or whatever it's always about money yes <laughs> so uh, government is more of a, a business of a business exactly so, yeah exactly so uh, in my opinion whenever they will see the benefit from magic mushrooms mm -hmm then they will be like, okay, let's uh, uh, make them legal, make money. <laughs> well, there's, there's kind of a trap for it. Um, the thing is, unfortunately, a lot of governments, they, they're like a dog that tasted blood mm -hmm. and they don't want to let go of it. When they got that first taste of the tax money, uh, they got greedier because a lot of the cities and counties and states, they're in fiscal problems because they just didn't balance their books right or it's a bad version of their economy wherever they're at. And so they would look at, for example, the cannabis industry as the savior for everything. Uh, but by doing that, 
by having all those taxes that in essence compound to the end that makes it so expensive, mm -hmm. they actually encouraged the black market to stick around. So for example, in California this past year, they thought they were gonna be making roughly a billion dollars in cannabis taxes. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the year, they got actually more like $450 million. The reason why, uh, the best part about the black market is you pay zero taxes. And because of that- It's black. Right, <laughs> it, it, it just stays in there. So the black market ends up exploding. Uh, the white market, if you're in the cannabis game, it's, it's almost impossible to actually make profit right now. The only way you really make money in the cannabis game is if you sell your business. Mm -hmm. And then you do something else with that. You know, you open up a bra, you know, like a bar and just run a, a proper Oriore, drugs operation, Oriore, you know, alcohol sales. Uh, how you call it? A wholesale. <laughs> Wholesalers, the problem is you have to work in bulk and mm -hmm. a lot of people can't get a consistent supply of the product that's out there as it is. So it, it mm -hmm. creates a very fluctuating market on prices. Uh, the difference between what we did with ours and what originally happened with, at least in the state of California back in 2016 with Prop 64, mm -hmm. Uh, we don't actually allow them to charge any of these extra taxes on it. And the other thing is, you're not getting taxed at each point of the process of the supply mm -hmm. chain, so they're not compounded into each other. What happens is, we, with our language, the California Department of Food and Agriculture is the primary department that oversees the cultivation of the psychedelic mushrooms, and they, in essence, treat it as a standard ag product. And what that means is, um, if you were to go to a, an agricultural facility that was producing psychedelic mushrooms, mm. you could in essence buy from them, process it down yourself, add it to a product later, and then sell it. And if you're selling it in the form of, technically it's for a religious purpose, a spiritual purpose, mm. uh, therapeutic or medical, uh, you don't pay any of these taxes on it. If it's in essence a dietary supplement, which is like code for like, you might want to be having a good time with this to a certain degree, that in essence is when uh, there's just the regular local sales tax applied to it. There is no extra mm -hmm. excise tax. And then the other crazy thing is, the cost to produce weed is extraordinarily expensive in comparison to producing psychedelic mushrooms. I mean, mm -hmm. for example, this, this past weekend, I was downstairs in this place yeah. teaching a class, mm -hmm. and we brought up the simple fact that if you go online right now, you can buy a pound of psychedelic mushrooms for about $900. Or if you want to take the initiative and you have the time and a little bit of uh, space to do it in, for the cost of about $125, a person can produce enough psychedelic mushrooms in their closet for themselves, their significant other, their friends, their family, and the neighbor lady they want to like barter for tomatoes with that lives mm -hmm. next door. So at that point, the cost per pound of dried mushrooms is more like seven to $11 for the average person to produce. Mm. A large scale cultivation facility that actually already produces uh, fungus and other mushroom products in general, they can get it down to between basically one to $3 versus the cost to produce weed at your highest and most efficient level for quality cannabis, say grown in a greenhouse, uh, you're going to be somewhere between 150 and 250, and if you actually have it growing in a garage and you have lighting, um, the electricity is like yeah, killing. It's, it, it, it's <laughs> phenomenally more expensive. Mm -hmm. With with psychedelic mushrooms, it's just you're putting it in a plastic tub that you can get for five dollars. You're using mm -hmm. popcorn, which you in essence inoculate with the mycelial mass to grow around it, and then you're adding that to a combination of basically it was, you consider it like garden soil. It's a mixture mm -hmm. of vermiculite, perlite, and cocoa, mm -hmm. and maybe like one other little additive. And then at that point, you stick it in your closet, and occasionally you open up the door, and you take the lid off, and you fan it for a little bit, and add a little bit of like spray with like sterilized water, and then you put the lid back on, and you come back, 
And in a couple of days, keep doing that, you end up getting these crops of mushrooms. So mm -hmm. as far as the sustainability- yeah, Apparently they are endless. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's phenomenal. So mm -hmm. like the sustainability of it is amazing. The fact that you could grow your own at home. So you, if you didn't want to have to interact with anyone else, you didn't have to worry about the safety of what it is you're getting or what the quality is because you're controlling it yourself. Just mm -hmm. like we believe a person should be able to go out in their backyard and grow tomatoes, corn. I personally believe a person should be able to grow cannabis without having to worry about any of these things. In my opinion, all drugs should be legal. Portugal model is the best way to go. Yeah, like uh, Portugal model? Portugal basically decriminalized all of these drugs and they mm -hmm. saw this massive reduction in all sorts of like HIV outbreaks from un like dirty needles, mm -hmm. uh, all kinds of rates of like overdoses started dropping. Because uh, they're getting the clean, uh, for example, heroin. If it's legal, you go into the uh, pharmacy, you get your dose, it's clean, it's checked from the FDA, Except if they genetically modify. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they'll do some mad scientist stuff. Yeah, with it, like, but it's it, inevitable. If you, if you want to stop the black market, you mm -hmm. basically you eliminate the whole uh, criminalization prospect mm -hmm. of it, and you could just treat it. If people can't handle the substance properly, it's treated more as a medical condition. It's just mm -hmm. a far more civilized way to deal with it. And instead and of more healthier, more uh, right, like we save lives like that. And for the most part, you end up wiping out the cartels and the black mm. market just by doing these simple things. But uh, so simple things that. in theory, but like it's such a hard thing because the United States is so heavily entrenched with it. And as far as how far we can go with it in California, with this, it's in essence legal to cultivate, manufacture, distribute, possess, consume, transport, all right? You can do all yeah. these things either as a for sale entity, for profit, not-for-profit or a non-profit. So that mm -hmm. way, if people are worried that large-scale corporations could come in and like take over the industry and turn it into an oligopoly, they won't really have the ability to do that because in essence, we level the playing field so anybody could get access to it. Yeah, and you said the magic word, barter with your neighbor. Right, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which we should because be able to do, but society hates that because it's a tax yeah, thing. If everybody is uh, able to make for $125, Enough uh, for like a enough. year supply for yeah. all other people. Yeah, uh, then there is no need of uh, selling it. Like, give me some or I will yeah, yeah. get some. Or... Some people will trade for some form mm -hmm. of monetary you yeah. know, consolation. <laughs> God only knows. But like what ends up happening though is if you now treat it in such a way that it's, it's okay to do these things, mm -hmm. then it also ends up becoming an additive product to lots of substances that people will be taking in combination mm -hmm. with other things, such as they'll have teas, they'll have chocolates, they'll have these little gel capsules. Mm -hmm. Some will be a full gram dose of psilocybin mushrooms, and some of them will be like a 10% of the gel cap will be psilocybin mushrooms. So mm -hmm. you could have a choice between um, macro dosing or micro dosing. Micro dosing is very popular right now. so. It's a cool thing. Uh, three days ago, on Friday, yeah. On Friday, we had uh, Greg here. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, uh, how it said? He's a coach of uh, how to take mushrooms and how to take uh, psychedelics. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, he said that uh, uh, there, for example, MDMA is uh, very good. It's another psychedelic uh, drug. Uh, it's very good for uh, anxiety. No, for PTSD. We're mm -hmm. treating PTSD with that. Uh, don't forget that uh, LSD was uh, created by the America's Army, mm -hmm. I think. 
Yes. Uh, like sertric acid, <laughs> it's, it's actually a combination. It comes from uh, ergot, mm -hmm. which is actually a fungus that in essence grows on wheat. So you actually mm -hmm. will like inoculate the wheat with this as you go along, and then through a chemical so process. It's a mushroom, <laughs> um, actually. It has, some sim it has similar qualities yeah. to it to certain degrees. Mm -hmm. uh, there'll be some overlap. For example, one thing that's difficult, most people, all people really, if you take, uh, let's say 3.5 grams worth of mushrooms at the start of a festival night, like let's say you get the three day pass to a festival and you wanna have a great time as you're going through it. Mm -hmm. So you take 3.5 grams and you have a great time on Friday night. Saturday, you're basically gonna have to double down and take somewhere between like five to seven grams of psychedelic mushrooms to get an equivalent effect. Mm -hmm. And then by Sunday, um, as much as you take, it's not gonna have much of an effect. So you have to have a buffer for it. So it's actually mm -hmm. like an anti-addictive properties to mm -hmm. it that are phenomenal, which they're also beginning to do these low-end studies on um, how it works for people that suffer from alcohol addiction and opioid addiction. Yeah. And there are other fantastic substances out there too to be used for. For example, iboga and ibogaine are showing uh, a level of promise in addiction recovery for opioid addiction that You're most people me? have never seen before. What's that? Ibogaine and iboga. It's, uh -huh. it's actually a root and the extract from it in essence. Mm -hmm. So, Like ayahuasca or? Uh, some similar properties mm. to it to a certain degree. Mm. Uh, ayahuasca comes from uh, Chacruna and like San Pedro and a couple of other combinations of things. Mm. There's like 4,000 different recipes for it technically. So but, uh, God provides, well, nature provides. There you go, <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. Exactly. And uh, you said that earlier, that past 50.5%. In Denver. In Denver. Uh, what the 49.5 percent was thinking? Most of them didn't really know what it was. Like, so it's it's, it's order, an outreach order, thing. Yeah. It, like exactly. for example, in Denver, the target uh, originally they were going for super liberal Democrats, mm -hmm. and then they actually started realizing some people that were in the middle and some of the Republican people out there, uh, they weren't actually opposed to it. They just hadn't really been talked to about it, and if they didn't know about it, they didn't want to sign off. And Unfortunately, so, again, partisan. Because if the liberals are, uh, or the Democrats mm -hmm. are for something, Republicans automatically, even if they are for that, they will say that no, because Democrats are... Uh, generally, generally that's how it was. But then what we ended up discovering with uh, cannabis, for example, there's plenty of Republicans that like weed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, and there's some uh, Republican politician that doesn't like weed, or, or is at least cool with it. If other people do it, for example, for the most mm -hmm. part, it's good. Mm -hmm. uh, with psychedelics, the thing is, you just have to get to them. You have to talk to them, and there's a lot of messaging that goes into it. Mm -hmm. And they have lots of different concerns out there. They're, for example, they're afraid. What happens if a kid gets access to it? Well, you have to childproof your home in essence, just like you have to do with all the other chemicals and products in your house, as well as your pill cabinet. Because honestly, the best exactly. point of with access for a kid to get everything that's yeah. If a kid wants to get access to drugs, just go to the parent's medicine cabinet. That's where the real problem is at. And we have an opioid addiction that is exploding in this country. It's absolutely getting mm -hmm. horrible. Uh, they'll equate it worse to this than they do for basically alcoholism in our society in a couple of years. And so psychedelic mushrooms, as a substance in itself, it gets tricky. Um, the DEA is the organization that determined this whole list. And from there, they say in order to have one of these substances removed from the Schedule One list or two, it has to show some form of, uh, or removed to it too, it has to show medical value. There has to be a medical benefit to it. All these uh, right. researches that we have right now, like 
but it's booming. Yes, but the problem is when you're doing a research, there's two types of ways of going about it. You're researching either an analog, which is a chemical replica mm -hmm. of the exact molecule that you basically mm -hmm. want in a laboratory setting, or you extract it from an organism that's already growing it, such as taking a mushroom and processing it down, taking out the psilocybin and the psilocin for it. Well, what ends up happening is, if you're a pharmaceutical company and you need to make money and it takes a lot of money to bring a product to market, the cost, uh, back in the day they had these extraordinary numbers, it's like somewhere between like 125 million to like $850 million to get a drug just through the entire process to begin with. Not an illegal one, but an actual regular drug that they're trying to manufacture, you know, for heart, for mm -hmm. cancer, for whatever it is they're trying to solve at this point. And so what happens is after they develop the process for it, they patent the process and they get to sit on it. It's like 15, 17 years that they're the only ones that can basically sell this. And then after that, they lose that patent or the patentability of it and it becomes basically open to the public. That's why you have like generic knockoff Tylenol now, mm -hmm. for example. Yeah. Um, so they need to make all this money in a, in a thin window and it takes you know like a decade in some cases to get a drug to actually go to market and it's so expensive. Problem is the mushroom itself Nobody wants to go through the process of spending, you know, $500 million to bring this to market if all it really is doing is removing it from the Schedule 1 list down so people could actually do it, or in fact completely off the drug list, because now there's no way they can charge the money that they need to make in order to make the profit back for the initial investment to get it off that list to begin with. So it's easier for them, in essence, to study an analog of a psychedelic. Mm -hmm. In some cases, like LSD almost is as, but if they do that, then they can make money off of it. Mushrooms, they're not gonna do that because there isn't that uh, financial return that could be there for it. So to wait for them to do that could be quite some time. Mm -hmm. So that's where we plug in with the Citizens Initiative and it's run by the people so we don't actually even have to do any lobbying or really get the approval of the elected politicians. We just have to write the language, get the percentage of the population we need, which is 50% of the voters plus one vote to get majority, and then we're in. Where are we at right now? What was that? Where are we at with, our, with that right now? We're probably somewhere between two weeks away, maybe less, before we get this thing back from the state known as the Title and Summary and the mm -hmm. Fiscal Impact Review. Mm -hmm. The state goes to the Attorney General's office and when you submit your language, you get this 30-day review process where everybody in the public can actually give their feedback. Problem is, you never know that this is even out there. It's like, it's like three steps down into the Secretary of, or the Attorney General State or Secretary of State's um, website to even find where this language is. And they don't send out a newsletter that lets all the citizens know that, you know, there's a new tax bill on cigarettes, or there's a, a new bill out there to support like the homeless situation, or there's a new city ordinance, or there's whatever. Mm -hmm. They just don't let you really know about it. You kind of have to stumble upon it and find it. The difference is in our open source initiative, we're blasting this out there constantly because we're trying to get people aware of it. So on our first draft that we submitted to the state, we got four comments back, two for it, two against it. Mm -hmm. uh, the second one we did, we only got one comment back. But when we sent it out in our newsletter, it's thousands of comments <laughs> to come into us because we have a Google Drive document mm -hmm. and it's totally live and we keep asking everybody, read the language and critique every section of it. Is, did we misspell something? Did we say something stupid? Was it inaccurate? Was it redundant? Does it conflict with something else? Open source software. Right. Everybody is right. creating the... the and, 
and people get to critique it and we get into these little comment boxes on the side where everybody's arguing about what's going on and then eventually we clean up those arguments and decide what we're going to do and we put it out there so the transparency factor on it was phenomenal versus the fact that when the state puts it out there they don't really tell anybody about it yeah then the next thing that happens is the state will then give you a title and summary where whether they're saying this law is something that can actually happen or this law probably wouldn't actually be able to be enforced because it's poorly written or this is like constitutionally illegal what they're actually trying to do like for example if i said legalize murder would you like to sign a petition to legalize murder you're like no that's a horrible thing who knows maybe it isn't in some cases but then again I you know death wait. penalty's not too popular here in I'm california i'm open to suggestions <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's like, another podcast i can yeah. think of some people that there need to be like yeah, the world could be a better place in certain uh, cases Death penalty, it is legalized murder. Eh, I mean, it depends how it breaks down. But <laughs> yeah. anyway, for example, like <laughs> when you go out there, there. <laughs> uh, the other thing the state will do, they'll do a fiscal impact review. So they will ask, for example, is this going to cost the state money? Is it going to maintain a status quo? Or is this actually going to create money for the state? So mm -hmm. I'll give an example. Uh, amnesty and expungement. It actually costs money to pay lawyers from the state to go through the records of all the people that have actually been charged and put in jail and in essence incarcerated for this mm -hmm. with a felony coming out that screws their life after it. So they go through all those records to find the ones in there and the ones that are outside and to in essence expunge that, that costs money for them to do it. But what happens is if there's somebody that's incarcerated in jail, if they're released and they get amnesty, uh, the cost to actually incarcerate, I think an average citizen in the state of California is like $72,000. It would actually Whoa. be cheaper to send them out there and get them a job than it is to actually house them. But it's $72,000 is a year's uh, payment a very good salary. That's a good salary, yeah. Like, That's a great salary, actually. I mean, today's economy as it is, I mean, it's, yeah. it's nuts. So what happens is they then, they tally up all these different factors and they figure out how much money comes in and then they, they'll do some speculation. So for example, they'll ask this question like, okay, are you creating new pockets of money internally in the state or are you actually drawing pockets of money from other industries and bringing them into the state or are you can actually eliminate an industry and they leave? Okay, so for example, uh, in the states that generally turn on for cannabis legalization in any basic form, be it medical or like full-on legalization, if the opioid prescriptions are up here really high at the top mm -hmm. and the cannabis legal sales start down here, they actually start to balance out as the year mm -hmm. goes along. So it's not that you're creating more money, it's that you're just transferring money from one side of the state's industry to the other because there'll actually like be a drop energy. in, yeah, there'll be a drop in the prescription numbers that mm -hmm. go out there. There'll also be some drops in alcohol sales as cannabis mm -hmm. goes up. Well, the crazy thing that happens with the research side of it is if an area can actually turn on for research and has the least amount of limitations that are possible, so they're basically unfettered to do as much as they can. They can study on humans, can study on simple organisms like mice, they can actually study on like the small cellular sized ones. Um, if they allow that to happen, all the research that's already going to be done here as it is, what's amazing is research companies from the, the other side of the world literally start coming here. Like one of our biggest endorsers and partners that came out of this process is uh, the Beckley Foundation and Amanda Fielding. She's one of the most amazing people in the psychedelic history of our generation that's even still alive. It's a, it's a wonderful to have her on board and her whole like foundation behind it. And they are like 
some of the biggest pioneers over there in the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. And the fact that all these people are now interested in coming out here, the way the state looks at it is, well, maybe there is the possibility that actually it's not that it's just going to be moving money around from one side of the state to the other, but it's actually bringing in outside income. Then they get very happy with that thought. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not entirely happy with the fact they can't uh, excise tax us to death with it. Mm -hmm. Um, that's certainly not something they're going to be fond of. But, but the they fact will that, find a way to tax the companies that come. Right, because all the third-party companies that come in yeah. there anyways, they have to pay so much in taxes, so they're still going to make it back one way or another at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And at least it's, it's a real economy where you don't have to hide in the shadows. And the goal, for example, with the campaign, with all the classes that we do, we're trying to basically turn on roughly 10,000 cultivators by the time the election finally goes off. Because we know when we teach people how to do this for themselves and they become self-sufficient, at the end of the class, the only thing we're really asking them to do is, now go show all your friends how to do this in private. Like mm -hmm. spread it around as much as possible. And when a person, it's the odds are something like this, like four out of five people that take psychedelic mushrooms will end up listing it in the top three greatest experiences of their life. I mean, they'll put it up there with like their childbirth. It's insane. Yeah. So actually, I'm a new to the sport. I did my first time on Fourth of July. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was psilocybin benzes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the normal mushrooms, mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, it was fantastic. Tell me more. What was it like? Well, I was with my wife, and. In my perception, all the colors, everything, all the senses are heightened. And I remember clearly we were sitting with my wife in the jacuzzi. Uh, she was uh, wearing a flowy dress mm -hmm. with patterns and we were uh, looking at the patterns. Yeah. It was amazing. The aftermath, I didn't have any side effects. No hangover? No, nothing. I could, uh, in uh, three hours, I could, uh, after I took the uh, mouth of the tea, um, I could normally talk like nothing happened, although I, was, I could feel still. That residual yeah, kind yeah. of glow. Exactly. And, it opened a new possibilities. Like I felt it like uh, it uh, accessed some parts of my brain that uh, was forgotten perhaps or not accessed for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was it. It was my, actually my second time. My first time was with uh, chocolates and uh, it didn't do anything to me. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't feel it. Nothing? Mm, well, it was night, so my visuals were not uh, as heightened as uh, when it was day or afternoon. Uh, and it wasn't what I was expecting, let's say, but I didn't feel like, I didn't feel what I felt on 4th of July when I took the actual... You might have had a weak yeah. dose on that. Um, yeah. Maybe the dosage was on fat. <laughs> Sorry. But <laughs> that's the truth. Do you remember how much the dose was? Uh, I took three these big uh, cubes hmm. of chocolate. 
Yeah, the microdosing has like this range somewhere between like 200 and 350 milligrams. Mm -hmm. um, like 25 to 35% of a one gram pill, for right. example, is kind of the threshold for a lot of people that microdose mm -hmm. if it's coming from psilocybin cubenzies. Uh, different strains will have different potency levels and there's a <coughs> bunch of subs beneath that. But mm -hmm. the other thing is, did you take it with tea? Or no. Did that you have any citrus, you know, no, SRIs nothing. or anything? Nothing. Okay. Um, Just chocolate. And the other time was I made a tea and throw inside like hot water and mm -hmm. I cut the mushrooms. Yeah, yeah, my favorite form is actually to yeah. take them in a tea with lemon, just, mm -hmm. just using that technique in there. And that brings it on, in my opinion, much faster, but it also mm -hmm. leaves my system much faster, so I'm more mm -hmm. functional if I can do that. Uh, if you want to do a, like a proper dose, at least that's the way I call it, it's 3.5 grams. And then if you want to do what's known as a heroic dose, you go all the way up to five grams. Mm. And then there's some maniacs out there. I got some that's friends cool. that do like 30 grams apparently, so we'll, well see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, actually, Greg, uh, last time, mm -hmm. uh, make sure to, that you watch that uh, episode of uh, Liberate the Podcast with Christina Dunn. Yeah, it's very informative. We will put it soon out and then we will put our conversation. Okay. And uh, he said, uh, make the pills with 100 uh, uh, grams, not 100 grams, milligrams, milligrams uh, of uh, psilocybin. You make actually powder mm -hmm. uh, the dried mushrooms and you put it in a capsule and you have 100 uh, milligrams of psilocybin cubensis. Yep. And, uh, and then you take one, and it, you, then you put, take the other one. You put the, the 900 uh, mm -hmm. other milligrams of another substance in there, like a lion's mane. Did he, did he mention what he was cutting mm -hmm. with? Or he's, no, that's no. it, it's just 100 milligrams yeah. of one capsule, nothing yeah. else? And uh, then you microdose with these. And uh, the way to find the actual uh, dose for you, because it's different for everybody. Mm -hmm. It depends on on weight, on uh, your circulation, on everything, or your uh, digestive, <laughs> everything. So you're going up uh, a small amount every time. Mm -hmm. And the moment that you think, uh, you feel uh, the little tingle, that's when you, like below that is just the amount of microdose that you uh, supposed to take. Yeah, so that, yeah. that kind of almost that event horizon between perceptual, you can mm -hmm. really feel it, and sub-perceptual yeah. where you, yeah. you know, you're feeling okay, but it's not quite that moment over. So mm -hmm. yeah, um, that's that sweet spot you're looking for. And everybody's is different, certainly. Uh, my, from, uh, um, from observation, my father-in-law is, uh, he has a severe ADHD, ADHD. And he's always uh, running around and uh, his uh, mind is rushing everywhere. And uh, with uh, microdosing, he's calmer. He's, uh, everything is perfect. <laughs> and uh, my mother-in-law <laughs> loves me now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm very happy and uh, I suggest everybody that uh, they should at least once try that and uh, make their own experience and their own mind 
on whether they want to continue that path or no. Where are we at uh, with, uh, um, how you call them, with researchers? I hear right now that uh, hmm. the searches, the research. Oh, uh, are there any companies that you know from pharmaceutical companies that uh, they are uh, uh, looking into mushrooms? Absolutely, um, there are companies that have already begun releasing uh, nasal injector sprays, so oh. they are able to like get like a perfect dose for that. Mm. Uh, there are companies in. Colorado that are actually talking about adding it to their coffees and their tea lines that already exist. Like CBD? But yeah, it's the exact same thing. It's just, they, they started treating it as like an additive product mm -hmm. to like make everything else just slightly that much better. And also uh, it's to increase the upsell value of what it is if they're gonna go mm -hmm. the commercial route for that. Uh, there are all sorts of capsule companies that are starting to show up. There are all sorts of grow kit companies because people are trying to get on that to show people how to do it. Uh, there, there's a lot of money coming into the research for all sorts mm -hmm. of different things. I mean, they're trying to use it as a, they're just trying to see what they can do with it as far as curing it. And then there are some companies that are doing the genetic uh, engineering of it. Mm -hmm. So they use a system either called a phage or a CRISPR-Cas9, mm -hmm. which you can either add or remove a piece of genetic material, a gene in essence, or it can turn off or turn on one, or it can also, they you can even make these little, uh, barcodes genetically if they're mm -hmm. actually going to try to patent an orgasm oh. like it's it's the weirdest thing in the world um at that point um someday and pretty much soon there'll be large-scale production of single cell eucratic organisms like yeast that will either have it contained internally or will actually excrete it and then they'll process it off and that's a concept that scares a lot of um people that just want to keep it just a mushroom that grows mm -hmm. naturally uh, they they find that uh, abhorrent because you know it's genetic engineering, mm -hmm. so they're freaking out about it. And it's understandable because we don't exactly well, know what all this is going to turn. You into. never know what the. Uh, you ever see the movie Island of Doctor Moreau? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, who knows? But at this point, everybody that thinks they can turn it into a product or mm -hmm. do something cool with it is probably going to make a run at it. Mm -hmm. And it's based off of what area in the world the majority of that can be done uh, without any real restrictions is where people would generally go. So mm -hmm. it's gonna be somewhere between um, the state of Oregon, because they're working on a therapeutic model, and then it'll be somewhere in California, hopefully pull this off, because we allow for the people to grow it, and we also allow for businesses to take a shot at it, and we also allow for sales, so we can get amnesty and expungement. And it's a very well-written piece of language. Um, mm -hmm. There's an open source document, and where the final draft came from was actually from a cannabis initiative back in 2014 that also made a run in 2016 but didn't make it. Mm -hmm. But then like 85% of it got adapted into this and we just started assimilating in other things that we liked. So it's clever. And Amazing. what we really need at this point Exactly. Above That's my next all question. else, yeah. The, the, what, the big what ask is this: like, can do. We need um, as much money as possible. Uh, if you want to go to our website, you can buy stickers, you can buy buttons, um, t-shirts are right around the corner, and donations as well. And we will make sure that the, the yeah, it will be underneath we'll in give the you description. That. Yeah. And then um, the other thing is, uh, especially. If you have the time, if you don't have the money to contribute to us, but you do have uh, some time, uh, please sign up as a volunteer on the actual website and we will dial you into whatever county you are in the state of California. There are 58 counties. We have over 650 volunteers 
and we have a few in every single county. So there are teams out there that are coming together. We organize on a system called Slack and we correspond uh, through all the documents that we're sharing using Google Drive systems. And then we're good people. Uh, this is some of the craziest, wildest, coolest people that you've ever met in your life. And it's a combination of amazing researchers, cultivators, people that just like to have a good time, musicians, artists, troublemakers, I mean, the whole yeah. smash. So well, it's wild. Yeah, every group has the same, actually, yeah. Yeah, but ours is huge. That's a huge <laughs> yeah. number of people to even start with at this I, point. I, I think there. And we, yeah. we start getting uh, signatures coming up uh, roughly in about two weeks, but no matter what, uh, we need donations as much as possible. I mean, like, yes, give mm. us all your treasures, basically the pitch for this. So, yeah. yes. All until the November 11th, are they? Third. Huh? Third. Third. Okay. But we actually have to get as much of this money as early mm -hmm. as possible yeah. because there's two major stages. Uh, when the signature collection stage starts, we need as much money as possible. When it starts? It starts in about two weeks as it is. We'll need that and we will also need as many volunteers to help mitigate the costs of this. Mm -hmm. And then after basically April 20th, uh, we submit the language, I'm sorry, we submit the final count of signatures to the state so they can actually sample it and make sure uh, the signatures are actually valid. They have to go through and actually check it and take some time. And then after that, we feel if we get it on the ballot, if it has mushrooms on the actual sheet mm -hmm. when they're going in there to actually vote that we're going to get it, uh, that doesn't mean we slow down. We actually double down at that point on all our efforts that we even got through for the signature side of stuff to make sure it goes through. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're pretty confident if we get it on the ballot, we're actually going to win it. Uh, the difficult part is actually getting it on the ballot. That's the most difficult thing. Well, um, yeah. And uh, by the way, we need technically check this out. The math is extraordinary. California has just shy of 39 million residents that live here. Mm -hmm. um, depending on when the season is, sometimes it's just shy of 40 million people. Mm -hmm. uh, the number of people that are basically registered to vote is something like between 18 and 19 million people. The number of people that actually voted in the last general election was just a little bit over 12 million people. And the way it works is you have to get 5.1% of the number of people that voted in the last general election. So we have to get 625,000 signatures roughly just to put this on the ballot. To make so it more complex. Above 700. Yeah. 700. Oh, no, yeah. uh, 625,000. It's, it's, it's huge what we have yeah. to go for. And then at that point, uh, one out of three signatures will come back invalid. So mm -hmm. that's either because they're not registered to vote, they put down the wrong place where they're registered to vote, or their signature was illegible. So we All actually right. have to buffer that up. It's more like getting between one and 1.1 million signatures. Yeah. Because we'll lose a third of them as it is. And then the other crazy thing that ends up happening. In one county alone, in Los Angeles County, there are over 5 million registered voters here. Uh, the primary focus is this one county, not just for that math, because that's basically if we get one out of five of those, mm -hmm. we can actually get this on the ballot with just one county we focus on. Yeah. The other factor is it's Hollywood. You have celebrities yeah. here, uh, huge influencers, all these people walking around. Joe Rogan, for example, mm -hmm. uh, he gave a shout out to the cats in Denver in the last few days of it. And it blew up the math and we got a couple of extra points for our actual percentage of the win just off of his influence right then and there. Yeah. Uh, that's the same thing we need right now. So, you know, if you're a famous person listening to this, you want a free t-shirt, some stickers, we'll hook you up. Yeah. For sure. And we have wild parties in Hollywood, but that's another story. So <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> No, we'll get there. Yes. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> on the one. next episode. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Amazing. Yeah. 
Uh, well, let's wrap this up. Okay. And it was a great uh, first uh, uh, encounter with uh, the Cream California. Thank you. And uh, anything that you want to leave our viewers with? If you get our stickers, uh, the hashtag is DCrimCA stickers. Send us an image of it, and we pretty quickly will repost it on our formal Instagram wall and everything else. Mm -hmm. But the number one most important thing out of the entire process here, uh, if you have money, please consider donating it to us. Uh, because without that, we will not win. Unfortunately, campaigns, uh, they live and die by how much money you have. And in other words, please give us all your treasure. So, <laughs> just saying. Yeah. There you go. That's it. Thank you very, very much. And uh, on behalf of uh, Liberate uh, Hollywood, where we are right now, thank you very much. Oh, one other thing. Yeah. There will be more cultivation classes coming up in January, February, and March at Liberate Hollywood. So we'll keep you posted on that. Oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah. And maybe some of them, they will be live streamed. We're thinking about it. So there we go. Yeah. Stay tuned. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. If you enjoyed this conversation, like it, subscribe, and share it with your friends. If you want some more amazing resources on your path of liberation, head over to liberateyourself.com and sign up for our mailing list. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram at Liberate Hollywood, all one word, or Liberate Emporium, all one word. Until next time, liberate yourself.